But you know, there are good surprises and there are bad surprises. We probably experienced both. That, of course, was an example of a good surprise. In fact, we would say a really good surprise. Um, do you remember a good surprise that happened to you? Uh, I remember when our daughter was at Florida International in Miami, um, Florida International University in Miami, and uh, our son was playing in a golf tournament in northern Indiana, so my wife and I had gone to northern Indiana to watch the golf tournament, and uh, we got out of the car in the parking lot there at the golf course on a Saturday morning to head out on the course and watch our son, and I thought I saw our daughter across the parking lot walking up, and of course I knew it wasn't her because she was in Miami. Well, what we didn't know is that someone had arranged for her to come home for the weekend and decided not to tell us, to surprise us. And we still laugh about my reaction because I got out of the car, I looked across the parking lot, and I saw her, and I just stood there. I didn't say anything. I didn't move, you know. And later I said, it's because I was looking at her, that looks like Melanie, but that can't be Melanie. Melanie's in Miami. But it was Melanie. Of course, I don't want to run up and hug the wrong young lady, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> but that was a good surprise. Um, a few months ago, in fact, it was right at Christmas time, my sister told me that their toilets had started to bubble up when they placed that. That's not a good thing. But, but, but here, and so they called a plumber. The plumber comes out and says, yeah, maybe your sewer main sewer line is clogged, you know, the tile's getting old, tree roots have grown down in them, and that's probably going to need replaced. But here's the thing. They had three children and eight children coming in that day for Christmas, some of whom were going to spend the night, and it's not like you can get an excavator out on Christmas Eve, right? Bad surprise. Not so good surprise. So let me ask you a question. How do you handle the unexpected. Life is full of the unexpected. You can find God in the middle of the unexpected if you know what to look for, if you ask the right questions. Now, that was the situation for the nation of Israel. We've been looking at some of the history of the nation of Israel on Sunday mornings, the series called Getaway. And just to make sure you understand the context here, they, they had been slaves in Egypt, and God was going to deliver them, so he raises up Moses to come in and lead them out of Egypt. Um, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, was so stubborn, he didn't want to let them go, so through this series of miracles, finally he gave in and let them go. So Israel has now left Egypt, um, two million people strong, headed out in the desert. They're headed towards Canaan, or the land that God had promised them to live in, where they could live and be free. Well, Pharaoh decides to change his mind. He's like, wait a minute, what happened to all these people? So he sends his army out to get them. Well, they end up at the Red Sea, and there's no place to go. Meanwhile, they got this army bearing down on them, and they are trapped. Now, they did not expect this. You know, after all God had done to miraculously deliver them, they're saying, why is this happening? Where are you, God? And you know what they did? They panicked. God was right there all the time. They just didn't realize it. They couldn't see him there. And you know, the same thing can happen to us, can't it? We get in a situation and we don't see God in it 
and something happens to us. We don't know which way to turn. We don't know where to go next. And fear can overtake us. And sometimes it's the fear of the unknown that's the worst. You know, maybe, maybe it's related to your career. You say, I, I've got this job, but it's a demanding job, or it's an impossible job, or I'm trapped in this job. I don't know what I should do. And you're beginning to lose sleep over it. Maybe it's a sin or a habit that you just can't seem to shake, and you've tried everything you know what to do. You know, you've tried to overcome it on your own, and it's not happening. It's beginning to control you. And you're thinking, you know what? I may need to get to some support of other people. I may need to have some other people help me. Maybe I need something like Celebrate Recovery. But the idea of walking in there to Celebrate Recovery and saying, this is who I am, is terrifying to you. Or maybe it's related to your health. You know, you're having some problems. You go to the doctor and he says, we need to do further testing. So you get on the web and start checking out all the scenarios. Boy, that was a good idea. And there's a worst case scenario. And you begin to fixate on the worst case scenario. And you're waiting for the test results. And it's maddening. Or you've got a decision to make. And it's not just any decision. It's a big decision. It's going to impact the rest of your life. Do I get married? You know, do I move? Do I take this other job? And you just don't know what to do. Or there's this difficult conversation that you need to have, and you've known you need to have it, but you put it off because you're dreading it. You don't know how they're going to react. You don't know what the outcome is going to be. Or maybe it's simply about surrendering your life to Jesus. You've heard us talk about it. You know you really ought to do that, but you're asking yourself the question, where is it going to take me if I do that? So we come to Exodus chapter 14 in the Bible this morning. We've been looking at the nation of the history of Israel through the story that's told to us in the book of Exodus. And uh, by the way, if you're doing the Ridge reading challenge this year, where we're reading through much of the Old Testament, we're reading a chapter a day, Monday through Friday, still jump on board if you want to be part of that. Just check us out at the website or whatever. But we just started the book of Exodus on Thursday. So for the remainder of this series we're in, as we're working our way through some of the book of Exodus, you are going to be reading along with what we're talking about on Sunday morning. So I think that's kind of cool that we're going to be able to do that. But as we go through what we're going to look at this morning in Exodus 14, you're going to see some really unexpected stuff happen to the nation of Israel. But we're also going to see some very encouraging principles that not only they could use, but we can use in our lives to deal with with the unexpected. And the way we're going to approach it this morning is this. We're going to ask three questions, and then we're going to answer those questions. Here's the first question. What do you do when life surprises you? Second question will be this. What do you do when you don't know what to do? And the third question is this. What do you do when God delivers? So um, I want to begin with that very first question. What do you do when life surprises you? And I'm actually going to start reading to you from Exodus 13. We'll back up a little bit and check out this context for the nation of Israel. When Pharaoh, remember he's the king of Egypt, finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said if the people were faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So check this out. God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness, toward the Red Sea. Surprise number one. God did not take them the shortest route 
to get to the land that he had promised them, this land where they could live in freedom. Instead, he took them on this big detour. Now, let me ask you, does that make any sense? At the time, it didn't seem like it. Let me just show you, um, so you have a picture of how this worked. Um, we're going to make this the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, I'll just abbreviate that there. And up here, we'll call this Israel, which actually at that time was called Canaan. Down here would be Egypt. The Nile River flowed through Egypt this way. Israel, when they were living in Egypt, probably lived about right here, just east of the Nile River in a land that was called Goshen. And let's don't forget the Red Sea. By the way, this map is drawn perfectly to scale, just so you know. If you looked it up in your Bible, you would think you were looking at this map, uh, okay? We better label it, otherwise you're going to wonder, what in the world is that thing? Okay, this is the Red Sea right here. Now, the way, the way Israel should go, what made the most sense was the direct route, the shortest route, right? In, in fact, there was a road at that time in the world that was like a main highway, a thoroughfare. Trade routes and all went this way, which would have been made perfect sense. They even had a highway already there. There were two million people, so that would make sense. Let me show you the way God routed them. He took them down, across the Red Sea, and that way into the Promised Land. This makes no sense. And in fact, this was desert area called the wilderness in the Bible. That was surprise number one, the way they were routed. The unexpected, in other words. And it was not a good surprise either. Now, you're probably like me. I don't do so well with unexpected in my life, especially when it's bad. But what I can learn is from the experience of the nation of Israel. And here's something we can learn. God has a purpose in it. God has a purpose in the unexpected. From what we just read, he wanted them to avoid getting into conflict or into battle with another nation. We're also going to find out as the story unfolds that God wants to teach them to trust him as they go through the desert. So that leads us to the very first principle, and that principle is this. Focus on God's purpose rather than on your circumstances. Focus on God's purpose rather than on your circumstance. Being able to handle the unexpected in your life comes through asking the right questions. Have you ever known someone who just seemed to have the ability to ask the wrong questions at the wrong time? It's not really a skill you want to acquire, is it? You know, like, you don't on your first date ask, have you thought about marriage? You know, or if you're a teen and you come home really late one night, first thing the next morning when you see your parents, you don't say, what time did you guys go to bed last night? Or a police officer pulls you over, you don't ask, hey, I'm running late. Could you hurry up with this a little bit? <laughs> or your spouse asks you, what's our credit card limit? Or the dentist says, what's your tolerance for pain? Or the pastor asks halfway through his sermon, you're not in a hurry today, are you? 
you know, wrong questions, right? Wrong timing, not good. But learning to ask the right questions can make all the difference in the world. So when the unexpected comes along, rather than asking, why is this happening to me? Or why aren't you doing anything about this, God? Where are you, God? Ask this. God, what is your purpose in this? When you do that, it changes everything. Rather than a surprise in your life, it can become part of God's plan. Let me show you how this works. God threw the nation of Israel a second curveball. Um, not only did he have them take a detour, like we saw earlier, he also had them come to a screeching halt, even though the Egyptian army was chasing them down. So here's surprise number two. Um, it's in Exodus chapter 14. Let me read it to you, verse 1. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp. Then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they were told. Now, if you're just one of the people along for the trip, it looks like the unexpected has gone from bad to worse. Now they've stopped moving. Here are some of the wrong questions to ask in this situation. Why are we stopped? What if Pharaoh and his armies chase after us? Did God just send us out here to die? What's the right question to ask? God, what is your purpose in this? Now, as I was reading, did you notice that God told Moses his purpose? He was going to display his power and glory to the entire Egyptian army, and the nation of Israel was going to get to witness that yet again. You can look at where they are right then, the nation of Israel, as the most frightening place in the world to be if you focus on your circumstances or you can see it to be the greatest place in the world to be because you're going to get to see God do something awesome if you know that God has a purpose in it. Here's the next thing you do when life surprises you. You focus on what you can learn. Now, what could or what did the people of Israel learn? Let me show you. Back to Exodus 14. In fact, I'm going to go to the end of the chapter, and we're going to kind of move ahead and see what they learned. This is verse 30. That is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day, and the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and his servant Moses. The right question is always, God, what can I learn from this? In fact, I've learned that the unexpected times in my life perhaps gave me the ability to learn more than in any other time. Uh, when our youngest son was just little, he had always had a fascination with our treadmill. And one time he asked if he could get on it. And I said yes, but told him to take it easy. Not one of my better parenting decisions. Um, he kept wanting to speed it up, and I was trying to slow him down. Well, 
I had to leave the room for a minute, not one of my better parenting decisions, and within a minute, we heard this horrible crash. I ran into the room, I saw him lying on the floor up against the wall behind the treadmill, and his first words to me were, I'm okay. <laughs> he was not okay. He was hurting. My wife and got him to the couch, we began to assess the damage. Layers of skin had peeled off his face, his hands, his stomach, stuff was oozing, you know. Sorry to be a little gross there, but you got to get the idea of what was going on here. The belt on the treadmill had just like peeled the skin right off him. <laughs> Later, when we were not in my son's presence, I said to my wife, well, I don't think he'll do that again. <laughs> he learned something that day. And when life surprises you, ask the right question. Ask God. What can I learn? Here's the second question. The unexpected comes your way. Often we feel uncertain as to what to do in these situations. And when those times, and those times can paralyze us. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? And most of us have been there. We may even want to do the right thing. We want to do what God wants us to do, but we don't know what to do. And that's exactly where the nation of Israel were. Once the king of Egypt realized that he had lost his workforce, you know, he changed his mind about letting them go, and he thought, what have I done? I don't have my workforce anymore. So he gathered up his military troops, and he chased after the Hebrews. And what did the nation, what did the people of Israel do when they found out that the Egyptians were chasing them down? They said, God, we're going to trust you in this. No, they didn't. They panicked, probably just like we would in that situation. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? Back to Exodus 14. Let me keep reading. This is verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? They didn't tell him that, by the way. We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. No, they didn't. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, do not be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff, raise your hand over the sea, divide the water so that Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? Well, here's the first thing to do. Slow down. Moses said to the people, just stand still. When we are stressed or we are worried, we often don't think clearly. Our thinking is fear-based at that point. And fear-based decisions are usually not wise decisions, or at least they're not balanced decisions. The most frequent command in the Bible from God is do not fear. Why? Why? Because when we make fear-based decisions, we're not 
trusting God. So slow down, sleep on it, pray about it, get God's perspective, trust him. Then, next, take the next step. Once you've spent some time praying and evaluating, and now you are trusting God, take the next logical step. It's called faith. It's what God wants us to do. Check out, going back to verse 15, and notice what God told Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. You can't let fear paralyze you. After you spend some time in prayer, take the next step because God can't steer a parked car. Um, almost 30 years ago, we were living in Germany at the time, and I was serving with a youth organization over there. This church, which was my home church, asked me if I would come back and come on staff. My wife and I spent three months trying to decide what to do. And actually, both were good options. We were happy where we were we, with the ministry we were with. But the thought of coming back to this church and going on staff excited us too. So I it was like, God, just write an answer in the clouds, you know. Just make it clear one way or the other, and we'll do that. God never did that, and we did not know what to do. So finally, I just said to God, God, I'm going to decide, and if it's not what you want us to do, please make that clear to us. I'm, I'm, I'm willing, we're willing to do what you want us to do. And I had concluded that my heart was really in local church ministry, which meant coming back to this church and going on staff. So we made that decision. It became clear over time that that was God's will for us. When we are unsure, we can take the next logical step of faith, trusting that God will lead us. And then finally, when you don't know what to do, remind yourself that God is near. Here's Exodus 14 again, verses 19 and 20. Then the angel of God, who had been leading the people, moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. The cloud settled between the Egyptian and Israelite camp. As darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. God used a cloud to guide them by day and a pillar of fire to guide them by night. You know, you talk about GPS. Uh, this served not only to guide them, but it also reminded them that he, that God, was near. God was with them. Listen closely. Knowing that God is near no matter what, no matter what your circumstances, especially in the unexpected, is a game changer. It makes all the difference in the world. On a Monday night during an NBA game several years ago, 13-year-old Natalie Gilbert stood at, the center, stood at center court in front of 20,000 rabid basketball fans and a national television audience in, the, in basketball in the Portland arena to sing the national anthem. She had won a singing contest. And as you can imagine, just 13 years old, she was incredibly nervous. She began to sing and she forgot the words. The arena just fell in this incredibly awkward pause. And no matter how hard she tried, her mind was blank. She didn't know what to do. 
The coach of the Portland Trailblazers at the time, his name was Mo Cheeks, was on the sidelines. He could see that Natalie, as she stood there, was terrified, feeling completely alone, feeling so vulnerable. So watch what happens next. You know, I love watching that for so many reasons. One of them is because, you know, Mo Cheeks, the coach, he can't carry a tune, can he? <laughs> he did not care. He messed up the words himself. But that did not matter to him at all. That was the least of his worries. He only cared that Natalie got through it. And you did notice he started encouraging the crowd to sing along, and they did. Players were joining, joining in. That doesn't happen very often. The opposing coach, I don't know if you recognize him, named Don Nelson, he started singing. And by the time they got to in the home of the brave, 20,000 people were singing along. And Cheeks would say, the coach would say later, that he wished he could have done just as much to help his team that night they lost the game. <laughs> you can do together what you can't do alone. And knowing that God is near, knowing that God has his arm around you, knowing that he will not leave you alone, even in life's most vulnerable moments, it's a game changer. It makes all the difference in the world. That's his promise to us. That's why you will occasionally hear someone say who has gone through a very difficult time in life, I don't think I would have made it without God. So remind yourself that God is near. Then there's a third question. It's this. What do you do when God delivers? And I love how God delivered the nation of Israel. It's actually one of the most well-known stories, one of the greatest miracles in the Bible. You heard us mention earlier in this series how there have been movies made about this as well. So, so let me read it to you. I'll start reading in Exodus 14, 21. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the See on dry land with the walls of the water, with walls of water on each side. When all the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, Raise your hand over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the waters rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power of the Lord that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. You know, are you kidding me? God parts the waters when they were trapped, when they had no place to go, so two million people can walk through. I mean, can you imagine what it would have been like to have been there, to have witnessed this? So what do you do when God delivers? Well, there are a couple things. First thing is this. Thank him. And that's exactly what they did. Um, most of the next chapter, Exodus 15, is a song of praise and thanksgiving. L let me just give you a sample of it. Here are verses 1 and 2. Then the Lord and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God. I will praise him, my Father's God. I will exalt him. 
My guess is they sang that pretty loudly, huh? You tend to do that when someone has rescued you from a life or death situation. Then there's a second thing to do. And this one is so important. Remember. Remember. Here's why. When you remember how God has rescued you in the past, it strengthens your faith not only in the present but for the future. We already read that the people of Israel put their faith in the Lord after he rescued them. There's nothing that will strengthen your faith like seeing how God has been faithful in the past through the unexpected times. Let me show you again how this works. Often, to strengthen our faith, what happens is it takes time. In other words, it takes life's experiences. And another thing it takes, we have to add trials to that. And when you take time and you take trials and you ask the right questions, it teaches you you can learn to trust, to trust God. But you know what? We don't like that it takes time. We hate that. <laughs> we really don't like the trials either. But time and trials, and you can learn to trust God. Now, the nation of Israel would need to learn this for themselves, for what lied ahead of them. And we do too in our lives. So always take time to remember how God has worked in your life in the past. You know, the message of Exodus 14, not only for the people of Israel, but for all of us who are here today, um, is this. God will make a way. God will make a way. Some of you need to hear that this morning. And, you know, if you haven't experienced that in your own life, just look back to the cross to find that to be true. Where, because of our sin, we were on a, headed down a path to be separated from God. Jesus came into this world. He died on a cross to take all of our sin on himself, to pay for our sins so we could have forgiveness, so we could have a right standing with God, so we could have the promise of eternal life. And God made a way for each of us. And if you've never taken that step to surrender your life to Jesus, to accept what he has done for you in your life, why don't you do that even today?